Disclaimer. This week, I'm going to be joined by Sunny Austin from It's a Criming Shame YouTube channel, and we are discussing the murder of multiple women. Some of the details can be very disturbing, so please don't listen if you're sensitive to this topic. everybody's been well and you all had a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Um, we've been struggling with this strange flu. It wasn't COVID, but whatever it was, it kept coming and going and coming and going and we thought we'd be getting better and then all of a sudden we'd start feeling sick again. In fact, Bree is still feeling under the weather, so she's not going to be with me um, for probably probably the next episode or two. But I really wanted to get some content out to you because I know it's been a while. And what I've been doing is I've been joining a YouTube channel. It's a criming shame um, just to do like case updates or talk about Delphi or whatever. But we also do a weekly show called Canadian True Crime. Um, and it's me and Sunny Austin who pick a case, a Canadian case, and we discuss it. So what I'm doing for today's episode is I'm going to take the Canadian True Crime episode that we did, the live stream that we did on Saturday of this week, and I'm going to edit it and put it in here and hopefully it'll work as a podcast. Um, there is some video that was taken of um, Willie Picton's farm um, and how it looks now, and there's some interrogation video as well that we played during the live stream that I'm going to cut out of there for you guys, but I'm going to link that live stream in the show notes, and if you're interested in watching that, I suggest going checking that out. Um, if you're not familiar, then you can go to, if you click on the link to the live stream, it'll replay it for you, but there's also a live chat there where while we're doing the show, I interact with um, the watchers. I'm usually pretty good with hitting most, if not all, of the comments and questions that come through. So, And I do try to read the question before I'm answering it. So that's kind of what you're going to hear. And it's mostly just a conversation between Sunny and I about this case and about the information that we were able to find out on um, the field trip that Sunny took to that pig farm. Um, so hopefully it works out, but it is an episode, it is content for you, so I hope you enjoy it, and at the end of that live stream, I'll come back and just kind of sum it up for you, um, and like I said, if you want to join us on Saturdays and have a real-time conversation with me, um, just click on that show link, you can subscribe to that page, you can also subscribe to our True Crime Story podcast uh, YouTube page, um, and those live streams will also be up there for you. But for now, here we go with my first, I guess, podcast from a live stream. I've done the live streams before, but I've never tried to put them into a podcast episode. So hopefully it works out. Hopefully enjoys it. You enjoy it. And I will talk to you when it's done. Hey, hey guys, welcome to today's True crime Canadian cases. Hey, Shireen. Hey. Hey. Hi, Sharon. Hi, Tom. Yeah. Hey, guys. Awesome. So we're 
we were doing true crime uh, Canada. So both of us are from uh, Canada. I'm from Vancouver, uh, BC, and Charmaine, you're from Alberta. Alberta, which I've lived. We lived about 40 minutes apart when I lived out over there. Uh, didn't know Charmaine at all until she came to the channel, and uh, now she's been a good Canadian friend of mine. So small world, eh? No kidding. Hey, Stevie. Yeah. How are you? Yeah. All right. Hey, Stevie, we were just talking about you. Your ears must have been burning. <laughs> I was telling her you did such a good job on your coverage of this case. I really liked your video. Uh, really did. Yeah, yes. I didn't know he, he'd done one because until Charmaine was just telling me here. So a uh, huge story. Oh, he didn't know I was a Canuck, eh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure is. You Well, probably if you don't watch me enough, you don't hear the all. I'm So I always say A a lot. Because I, mean, I know we're known for it, but and you know I don't say that. And I, I yeah, I always have a a. You do. You really do. You talk like a Canadian. <laughs> so yeah. So today we're going to be covering uh, Robert Picton case, the pig farmer, um, a huge case, uh, basically biggest serial killer case in Canada, mm -hmm. and uh, so we thought we would ought to talk about this one today. And uh, in just a little bit, too, I'm going to make you guys suffer. Um, I'm going to literally take you from um, our place to the Picton Farm and go along the drive with us uh, till we get there. Now, the only downfall was, Charmaine, like I told you, that it was the coldest day. It just, like, gods, like, sometimes you just go, what the heck? Because <laughs> the gods made it the coldest day here yet. And when we got there, um, first of all, there was snow in the Port Coquitlam Pit Meadows area. And I'm sitting there and never use an iPhone. Honestly, you need a battery pack thing for iPhones because they truly suck in the cold. Mm -hmm. Like I cannot uh, stress that enough. iPhones suck in the cold. So my battery was fully charged and da 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 da. Well, so I'm sitting here, do 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 do, and the nip in the air my fingers started freezing very fast and anyway so i'm sitting there recording and good thing i got really everything we needed to see because there's not like there's a lot left of picton farms but yeah. all of a sudden i'm sitting there go to go record again after i see this birdie and uh, wait what the phone's dead wait what do you mean the phone just shut off right and so then all of a sudden i turn i get it to turn back on all of, all of like 10 seconds not even and then all of a sudden it's like red battery dead and I'm oh. just like, are you kidding me? Really? But you got what you came for. So I, I, you know what? I did, but I just couldn't believe that I woke up that morning the other day. It was sunny, right? I look over later again. It's sunny. And then the afternoon comes, miserable, freaking mm -hmm. looks like it's about to snow. Starts snowing just a little bit just as we leave. And I'm going, are you serious? Like, really? Really? But, anyways. It was, it was my first true crime adventure. Uh, I think that it's phenomenal. I was so excited when I realized that you were you were so close to where that farm was. I was like, Sunny, you should yeah. you should drive out there. It's like <laughs> 20 miles from you, I think it was, or 15 or something. Well, it's like, yeah, it's like 20 minutes. Like, because when okay, when this story first broke, um, which was in 2002, I lived in uh Coquitlam. So so you lived right there. Like I lived right in Coquitlam and Park Coquitlam's right beside Coquitlam. 
so it was just over like the little bridge or before type of thing and yeah so i remember this story i am um, meaning i just remember it because i was a lot younger then um mm -hmm. and i just remember it about hearing about this pig farm you know and the and, and all these bodies that were found um on this pig farm that's i wasn't into no true crime way back then or nothing mm -hmm. like that just remember it because obviously it's like right on your doorstep and yeah anyways well, i'll let you start talking a little bit about it um if you want and then well, i think that this is um this is a really good segue i think into some canadian true crime like the uh, highway of tears missing and murdered women indigenous women and i apologize Sunny, but i can't remember what we're allowed to call um street workers on youtube like i don't want to get to oh i just call them um ladies of the night or escorts whatever right. escorts. these these women that live these high-risk lifestyles there are so many missing and murdered in canada and that's that's a huge undertaking to do all of that um i guess investigative reporting uh, but this pig farmer willie picton um so in and around Vancouver, there were over 144 missing and murdered women. Um, they they suspect Willie of uh, murdering more than 40 women, but there was never enough evidence to point to that. But Sonny's got some video to show that he actually confesses to a cellmate about some of that. But um, like I said, this is a good segue case, I think, to get into some of the other Canadian true crime cases that are kind of close to home for both Sonny and I, because they span both of our provinces. Um, Willie Picton obviously is probably the most prolific serial killer in Canadian history. Um, I don't know if it's a good time to bring it up, but a little side note, because I want you guys to keep this in your mind that this man, um, he is eligible for day parole next month. And eligible for full parole in 2027. So wrap your head around that as we go through and we talk about the investigation and um, what this man did and basically the sentence that he served. If Obviously it's not justice, but it just illustrates how messed up our Canadian justice system is. There have been changes made and things are getting right. better, but nowhere near where it needs to be. So well, see, and tell them about the consecutive thing as well. Right. So I'm not 100% sure when the consecutive sentences became an option for our criminal justice system. I do know that there was a case in Calgary and Airdrie just a few years ago where um, grandparents and their little grandson went missing and were murdered. And that man who committed that crime was given the first consecutive sentence in at least Albertan history. I think it was Canadian history, but because he had committed that triple homicide, he he has to serve 75 years before he comes up for parole. And like I said, I, I don't know if it's the Alberta first or if it's a Canadian wide first, but he was given the first uh, consecutive sentence. So at the time of Willie Picton, 25 years was it. Same as Paul Bernardo, if you can believe that or not. Like he served his 25 years and he's yeah. up for parole and he comes up for parole. Um, he'll never get parole, but there's another facet to our criminal justice system where if somebody's labeled a dangerous offender, um, that 
raises the requirement to uh, reach parole, but Willie Picton never never got put there. So yeah, because I I when I saw that you know that when they were talking about all the life like that he had enough life sentences, I, I thought that that meant there was over a hundred. Like meaning, well, he can't. I mean, he'll be dead in a hundred years, so yeah. he can't get any further than that. I thought so. I was like, okay, so they just obviously don't want to spend no more money than they've already spent, basically. Yeah. You know, and, and to me, I feel like some of the video that you got, I'm pretty sure I haven't seen what you have exactly, but I do know what you're talking about um, with the with the um, cellmate confessions or whatever. Yeah. And he, he made a few different statements alluding to wanting to get to the big five. Oh, he wants his victim number to be 50. Yeah. So the man right now is in his 70s. So just entertain the possibility that this man would still have the capability to get to that number if he's been, if he gets out on parole, you know, if he's served his natural oh, sentence. I hid myself somewhere. Um, you know, it's, it's terrifying to think and trying to dig in to find out those other, and I'm getting way ahead of our, of our coverage here, but okay. trying to figure out why those, okay. So the 20 other charges were stayed. They didn't go to trial. But in my mind, can't they bring those back and prosecute him for those now? Like, is that a possibility? I, I don't know. Right. But yeah. And right. You know, uh, or go tear down some of those houses where they sold off the land too. Because mm -hmm. they didn't check. But because, um, yeah, because I mean, where I read it said 49 and that, yeah, he wanted to make it to 50 or whatever. Yeah. The big um, 5 0. And so. Noise. And this guy, we can we can say that this guy never had a chance. But when I say that, lots of people are abused. Lots of people are are brought up in terrible households, and and they don't become what he is. So when I say he never had a chance, I don't mean it as any kind of mitigating factor or anything like that. What I mean is like this kid was raised on this pig farm with his parents, who were both very abusive. Um, they were never taught anything about personal hygiene. Um, he was bullied at school relentlessly because of um, his hygiene or lack thereof. They called him, um, what was it? Stinky Piggy. Oh, was yeah. His name. He never really had any friends. He, he made a couple of friends that maybe felt sorry for him, whatever. And the only time he really got any kind of acceptance is when he had money and he was hosting these parties. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden he started feeling like he was important to a certain group of people. Um, yeah. Like probably hell's angels. Yeah. Uh, I believe when uh, I want to say Willie was 14 years old when his older brother David, I believe he was, he had just gotten his driver's license and he was, he was driving down the road and for whatever reason he, he ran over a boy. Um, I can't remember how old the little boy was. But uh, he ran him over, and when the brother looked in the rearview mirror, he saw the boy laying in the road, bloodied. So instead of calling the police or trying to render help, he rushed home to tell his mom what he had done, what had happened. So his mom goes back to the scene, says, well, this boy is dead, and basically rolls him into a ditch that had filled with water. Um, the boy, his body was found the next day after his parents um, reported him missing. 
but he actually died of drowning. So he wasn't dead. So technically speaking, Willie's mom committed a murder covering up for an accident that her son would have or that her son had. So this is this is kind of the epitome of the the, the yeah. environment that he was raised in. Um, sometimes when he was feeling lonely or scared or something, he would hide in and under pig car car uh, carcasses. Um, Willie also bought himself a little baby calf, and this was his best friend. It was his pet. He loved this calf. And he come home from school one day to find out that the calf had been butchered, and that's what they were eating for dinner. Um, so, like I said, he, he didn't have a chance at being a normal, functioning member of society. No excuse for what he ended up doing. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, same with the, the sister, too. She was, she was plucked out of the house, though, because the dad didn't think the pig farm was a good place for a yeah. girl to grow up. Fair like, enough. She was deemed as a weirdo. But, like, the the pigs and the livestock were allowed to roam freely around that farm, even in the family home. Um, everything was covered in grime and crap, and it, everything stunk. Everything was gross. And this was just their life. They didn't. I don't know if they knew any difference, but this was their life. This was normal to them. Yeah. So, like I said, that's the sad maybe, part. Bring us back on here. His IQ. Okay. So, everybody, a lot of reports say that he was um, mentally challenged, I guess. But his, his IQ is, he, he scored an 86, and the normal or average range is between 85 and 100. So he's on the very low end of average intelligence. Um, so he's not, he's no Jesse Miss Kelly, put it that way. Like he's not, he's in the normal range of intelligence. And I think that comes from not going to school, obviously, and being raised the way he was, obviously. Um, I don't think, to me, I think he was calculated. Um, he was intelligent enough to get away with this for so long, and the police helped him out a lot with getting away with it for so long because they they, they straight up refused to investigate it. There was this, and still, to a certain degree, they have this belief that these ladies of the night, yay me, <laughs> I remembered, um, and drug addicted uh, women or even indigenous women just have a habit of getting on a bus and going to the next town and nobody ever hears from them again. And I guess they don't want to waste their time looking into something that's probably not a crime. So this, and I mean, they, they said that in this case, that they're, they're not going to investigate these disappearances because they're not technically disappearances. Nobody is missing them. So that attitude helped Willie get away with this for as long as he did. Um, I, I, to me, it has nothing to do with his IQ. He's not, he's, he's, he's lower intelligence, but in his environment, he thrived. Yeah. He was just fine as a pig farmer. He's a meat cutter, don't forget. And a butcher, like he dropped out of school and he got a job as a, as a butcher. Um, and he did just fine. His, his social intelligence obviously was probably a little bit lower than that just because he wasn't socialized. He, he took very terrible care of himself, so people didn't want to be close to him. He couldn't connect with people. But I don't know that that has a lot to do with his actual IQ. 
very cunning, surprisingly articulate. Yeah, and I mean, he does have a little bit of a speech impediment, but again, that doesn't that doesn't say anything to me about his his intelligence. And he did score an eighty six. And um, I'm yeah. not even sure what eighty six means. Eighty six what? So the, the average range on an IQ test scores from eighty five to one hundred. The okay. average is around one hundred. So. Mm. You know, I've never done an IQ test, but I think I'd probably score around maybe a 95 or so, just a little below the average range, just because I'm, Same. I can be stupid. But well, anyways, um, he was in that normal range. So to me, it, it it doesn't play a part in this. And I'm, I'm, I'm never one to say, well, it's because he didn't have an education. He turned into a psychopath now. Um, his upbringing turned him into a psychopath. Um, right. Just my opinion. Probably more um, accurate, yeah, to be honest with yeah. you. And especially when you take into account everything that, I don't want to say everything that happened to him or anything that he went through, but just the way he was raised and the environment that he was brought up in and not made to go to school. Even when they did go to school, I read many reports that said, you know, they had to work on their farm four days a week from sun up to sundown and they they were free to go to school maybe two days a week and even those two days a week him and his brother both skipped out and would go home and hide until the end of the school day and they could go out and do their chores because that's where they prefer to be um so he had no education and that's what placed him there but he wasn't born with any mental disabilities or anything like that it was it's strictly an education thing in my humble opinion i wonder how much it played into the fact of his mom doing that to that boy. Um, that I think in, again, in my opinion, that taught him to, it's, it's okay to do what, as long as you don't get caught, your actions are okay. Doesn't matter how bad they are. And just like his little baby calf pet being slaughtered and the family eating it, that probably, helped mold his idea like how he felt about love and companionship and you know when you have a pet you're almost mothering them you're parenting them that is your baby so for his family just to consume this pet and it meant nothing it, it probably helped form some of his ideas and that, or that was probably a very emotionally devastating thing for i couldn't imagine what that would be like i have no pity for this man don't 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 take that the wrong way but yeah piggy palace yeah but it must have been because he thrived on the farm a absolutely you yeah. know i don't know why but kegan klein keeps jumping in my head here uh somebody you know like when people are in their element and mm -hmm. the pig farm and that all that is his element you know again so it's kind of like all of us right we all kind of have our little specialties that we're good at so with me it's customer service and I'm a people person, you know, and I'm you know, like an empathic. So I know that those are my best attributes. Stick me with math and all that shit. Gonna freaking flunk, fail, fooey shit. Can't, you know, that bad stuff. But put me in my element, you know, and I'll try and, excel. and every single yeah. human on the planet, that's kind of how we choose our path in life, what we're good at and what we're what we're not good at. We kind of steer away from those things that we're we're not good at. And yeah. Obviously. And yeah. And the more you do it, you know, the more you get. Now, obviously, like, just, I mean, 
the gist of it is most of these people were indigenous females. And mm -hmm. again, it's it's just kind of it's kind of like what happened in the Ray Hanish case. Mm -hmm. Oh, so he's gay. So, you know, he lived that style. He kind of, you know, this, this is the stuff that happens. So, mm -hmm. and so, right. So remember they, he, uh, there was, it wasn't even done, uh, charged as a murder. And now it, you know, it finally escalated to being Garrett Kurtz being charged for his murder, but it's just, it's just sad that. It's the attitudes towards yeah, these. Um, night, night workers, <laughs> if you want to call them, but anyway, yeah. you know, so, indigenous. Yeah. So Willie's parents died in the 70s, and I'm sorry my mathing isn't mathing, but I, I can't remember how old they were. But uh, oh, 70s, I think it was. Yeah, they died in the, or they died in their 70s, but in the 1970s as well. So uh, Willie and his brother inherited that farm, yeah. and they tried their best to, you know, run it the way the family did, but they they sucked at it. They weren't good at it, so they decided to sell off portions of the land. Well, at that point, I think they sold it for over $5 million. So all of a sudden, these pig farmers are filthy rich. And they have no idea what to do with their money. Yeah. And uh, so they end up renovating their, one of the slaughterhouses. And they start a nonprofit society. Mm -hmm. And they open up um, what's called a, the Piggy Palace, is what they called it. And... So, and this never made sense to me, Stevie, maybe, maybe, you know, cause you obviously researched a lot, which I didn't research a whole lot. This is kind of all what I've learned over the years, but um, now they, they said it was nonprofit. They were going to hold right um, musical like concerts. Um, um, I don't know, just kind of a, like a, what is it called? What did they call it? I should Google it. Um, for which? For the Piggy Palace. They're, they're not-for-profit organization that they actually yeah. registered with the government. Yeah. And it was for a good time, like just a good time society or something. I can't remember off the top of my head. But. Um, let's see. The, uh, it says the Piggy Palace, uh, 1996, claiming to organize, coordinate, manage, and operate special events, functions, dances, shows, and exhibitions on behalf of services organizations, sports organizations, and worthy groups. Mm -hmm. It includes uh, uh, raves, wild parties, featuring Vancouver uh, S workers, and gatherings in the converted slaughterhouse. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But I just, I struggled to, I struggled to know how that was approved as a not, not for profit. Like what, what, I, I don't under, I don't understand. That's one thing that I don't understand because what this thing turned into was basically a, a party house for, the Hells Angels, which, as I understand it, Willie's right. brother joined that. I don't know if he was a hanger on or if he was an actual member or whatever, but the Hells Angels would come there and, and their escorts would come there. And, and you know what I mean? It was they had well, one party that had over 1800 people at it. So it was just literally a party house. And they were able to do it with that many people because yeah. they had made this not for profit. Now, Charmaine, just quickly. So it says, yeah, like they even attract as many as. 2,000 people and members of the Hell Angels, but it says the society's nonprofit status was removed the following year for the inability to produce financial statements. Mm -hmm. So it was subsequently disbanded. Right. But I, I mean, I like I said, I struggled to, I struggled to understand why they went the not-for-profit way. Right. Um, 
So Stevie said, so they were claiming they would hold the events and then donate the money. Oh, okay. Yeah, but we don't know. It only lasted two years before they were shut down. Yeah. yeah. Okay, fair enough. Because I, I could never understand what makes that like a not-for-profit. It sounds to me like you just want to build like a like a bar or a party mm-hmm. house or something. What, what, it was probably for tax reasons. Yeah, and planning on donating the money. That sounds yeah. That sounds absolutely more reasonable. Like we why? Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, it makes no sense to me. If you want to open a bar, then open a bar. You know. Yeah. Wow. I'm sure it had something to do with, you know, I mean, if you can, if anyone can save away on paying taxes in a certain way on how to do things. So I'm sure the charity thing, you know, here, let's make a 10,000 in here, give $1 to charity. But anyway, you know how it is. It's usually to do with that stuff. And also ask, what do you think about knowing right from wrong? And Vis-a-vis perps like this guy, I think they rationalize what they're doing or what they want to do as the right thing. Um, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't think that he ever put that much thought into it. Um, there were certain people who were probably intended victims who got away. Um, where Willie had said, you know, if if I see you out on the street again, or if you don't clean up your act, then you're going to be next type thing. Um, acting as though he was doing a righteous thing by trying to clean the streets or help these women make better choices in life or whatever. But I, that to me is a, it's an excuse after the fact for, for what he was doing. And probably, I don't know, because he, according to reports, he didn't drink, he didn't do drugs or anything. So in my mind, that would be something that, that a drunk guy would say, you know, not, not a crazy. Yeah. Just, just kind of crazy. Like, why did why did certain women live and get that warning, where other people, where other women didn't? There's no, there's no rationalizing anything. I don't think that he thought that far into it, right or wrong. I don't think he ever categorized what he was doing. He was doing what made him feel good. What you know, when he did his first crime, reports say that that's kind of when. And when I say reports say, this is all just speculation because he's never come out and talked about it. We, we don't know what was in his mind. And I, I also would like to say that psychologists who analyzed that video of the undercover cop had said, well, they don't ask these perpetrators why they did what they did, because that's not something that a bro would ask. But I would ask my bro if he's telling me that he did all these things. I would say, like, why'd you do that? Like, what what's up with that? But apparently that question would make Willie suspicious, but he's spilling his, like, that to me would be a natural question if you're, if you're a criminal or not to say, wow, man, do you hate women? Like, what, what was going on? Like, why did you do that? But he never did. And there was never any insight into his actual motive for doing this stuff. Nobody asked him because they assumed he wouldn't tell them. So now we all have to just speculate and assume because of his upbringing and this and that is why he did it. But we'll never know. And I'd like to know if anybody ever read his manuscript because he wrote a manuscript in jail and he sent it to somebody who was, I believe, a retired construction worker who ended up publishing it and putting it on Amazon. It sold for 15 bucks a copy. I never saw it, but I'd like to know if anybody did read it. But at the same time, in there, he said he's a he's a patsy. He's a fall guy for a bunch of other people that were involved. So yeah. you're never going to know the truth. But 
backing up. Yeah, no. I don't think he ever tried even to, he was just doing what made him feel good because he had no social connection. He had no social life other than these um, drug addicts and high risk women. Um, and like it said in the interview, it wasn't even, it wasn't even a challenge for him at some point because they were addicted to heroin. Instead of injecting them with heroin, he would be injecting them with antifreeze. Antifreeze, yeah. You know, Five to 10 minutes, he said dead. Yeah. You know, and uh, and then he would grind some up and feed them to the piggies. Yeah. Most times he would feed them to the piggies and other times he would grind them up with other meat and and sell, sell the meat. Like... And take oh. it to an um, animal waste rendering plant yeah, in Vancouver. Yeah. And honestly, the one the one fella he was an ex truck driver who wound up he was working somewhere and he would have to go to the farm to pick up his paycheck from Willie. And he saw a bunch of guns and stuff, so he reported that to the police. And the police ended up going to the farm to search the farm for illegal firearms, and they noticed certain things that made them. It's still available, Stevie? He oh, says 3K. He says 3K. Oh, 3K. Oh, that, it's probably like illegal, but Willie's not going to yeah. make any money off of that. But anyways, I can't remember what I was saying. But was oh, a truck driver guy you were talking right, about. Right, 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 right. So the police went there to investigate the firearms thing, and they found uh, an inhaler. Yeah. Which wasn't out of the norm or anything, but oh, the inhaler wow. happened to have the name of a missing woman on it. So that's what sparked an investigation. Uh, My opinion, these types of perps think right is what gives them what they want. Fair enough. Very true. But but the thought, I don't know. I don't know what it's like to think like a psychopath. I don't think because crazy people don't know they're crazy. So perhaps I'm crazy. I don't know. But I would think that there's an actual thought process to go before you make a decision. Um, if you know something is wrong, then you're going to take steps to cover your tracks if you're going to do it anyways, because it's something that makes you feel good. Like if I want to have a cigarette, let's say indoors, because it's minus 40 out, I'm going to take steps to protect myself from getting caught from having that cigarette because I know I'm not supposed to do it. But if I was crazy and I didn't give a crap what anybody thought, because I don't think right, I'm just going to light up. Like I've seen people do stuff like that. It's a very small, stupid example. I know, but I'm just trying to, you know, get across what I'm, what I'm thinking when it comes to his, his mo not motivation, but his thought process. I just don't think that he put any thought into it because I do not think he was crazy. I don't think that he was even not criminally responsible in any fashion. He knew what he was doing and he did it because he liked doing it because it made him feel something. He ma it made him feel a certain way that he wasn't getting anywhere else. So I don't know um, other than getting into the trial, maybe we should. It's very interesting to me because, you know, after he was sentenced, which was baloney, but after we watch this video, we'll talk about um, what happened at the trial and the sentencing. But yeah, do you want me to show my video? Yeah, right um, away here. And I thought that I've never, I've never even, I never even thought to Google you. where that farm is now, you know, but then when I, wait, Sonny's in Langley and I know Ooh, maybe she can drive out there. And so yeah. I, when we were talking about case to cover, I said, can you drive out there? And she actually did it. And I was like, and you guys are going along the drive with us. This <laughs> I mean, is so cool. <laughs> it's so very cool. But after the video, we'll talk about the, 
the trial and what happened there. It's going to blow your minds. Prayers, of course, go out to all the families that have been impacted by the sick, twisted man. May their souls rest in peace, as that sign showed. Anyways, you guys, thank you guys so much for watching this video. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, yeah, that's probably the suck. But, I mean, you guys, there wasn't much land left, obviously. Um, like, I, I don't know why that that jarred me. Like, I... I don't know if, what it was like back then, but that seems so central to me. It's so, yeah. it, and I know that they developed the housing and stuff, but I think that wasn't far out of town. At, I, like it wasn't out of town. It was, it was right there. Like, well, no, it was when it went, but though it was when the farm was the actual farm, but all so the Was there any kind of like memorial out there or anything to nothing? Nothing I saw, no. But yeah, like, I mean, honestly, uh, at that point, my hands wanted to fall off. The phone died. Uh, like, seriously, they were like burning, you know, when they're they're so cold that they're just aching so bad. Yeah. Um, and so we were just like, boop, <laughs> right back to the vehicle. Because, but there were, I didn't see anything at all. Um, I wanted to go around just to the other side, but really it's just more housing on the other, like meaning, everything was there to be seen yeah. but all that stuff again uh was sold off and over the years it's now turned into all that development where it's just got a really good idea of like the development around it but the the the, the mass of land like it's it's a huge area and i mean it's just so and and to think that they're probably is no memorial or anything out there is sad to me because like I know we live in a you know a society that wants to kind of forget bad history and stuff but how do we remember how do we learn from things and how do we memorialize these women who may have made some bad choices and you know struggled a lot but they still deserve to be remembered and you know their lives honored no matter what kind of life that that was I just that's that was a lot sadder than I thought it was going to be. And I mean, husband is hilarious. Like, <laughs> my God, he, oh, yeah. he's not—he's not all there, is he? But he's great. I love him. <laughs> my husband. <laughs> I get it. We don't want to remember where they were found or where this tragedy happened. But I—I—I yeah. I, I think it's important. I really do. And. You, you can't know, just build over it and erase history. Do you know what I mean? It, it happened there. And I think it's important for people to know what right. can happen when we're, when we're not paying attention. You know, uh, I was going to say like, uh, so they said that they had found 30 DNA profiles on the land. Now, obviously there was house development because they had sold off land, mm -hmm. um, a lot of their land. So development had happened, but they're not about to tear down all this new development, you know? No, no. for sure. So, I understand. so meaning when he says that he had one more to go that, you know, which because he was at 49 and he just wanted, you know, he wanted another one to make it even at 50. So just meaning, so for the families of potentially some of these other victims, Again, there was housing all built on it, and they're not about to bulldoze all this housing, like mm -hmm. you know. And so, hence why there's still going to be bodies that are going to be underneath some of that land. Mm -hmm. um, 
that will remain there really. Um, mm. But it, it is sad. And honestly, when you see the shed um, that's still standing in that little other portable that's there, mm -hmm. it, it really kind of, I mean, right when you get to it, you just are impacted by the fact of what it what has happened here. Mm -hmm. um, like, of course, you wouldn't know the gravity. Um, maybe if we went back in the time where we can actually look at the farm, which only we can do by pictures now, mm -hmm. um, but just the gravity and and honestly, I'm not the person. I could never move into Chris Watts's home. I no. could never. I don't care how cheap you got it. I don't want to live anywhere near that Picton farm. In that, you know, like I would never purchase anything myself. But other people, first of all, either don't know about it now or mm -hmm. don't care. You know, or maybe they got a better deal because of what the farmland was around there. It's just I wouldn't want that memory beside me personally being a deep empath that i am i just wouldn't want to feel that type of energy around mm -hmm. me um and the sadness that went on uh just absolutely because now i charmaine i think you know this as well that they're trying to um get rid of the evidence now like basically yeah. that i think there was over like a what was it, 12, 13, 1400 pieces or something like that? Of I've, got, I've got the numbers in front of me. I'll... Yeah, go ahead. Actually, I just quickly need to run to the washroom if you don't mind. Okay. Um, but anyway, so I'll just be right back. So there were over 40,000 photographs taken um, of the crime scene. Um, 235,000 items taken from the farm. There were over 600,000 exhibits at trial. Um, and then the prosecution had 98 witnesses and the defense had 30 witnesses. So that kind of gives you an idea of the scale of this investigation once it was actually investigated. Um, and like I said, had it not been for that rookie cop finding that inhaler, um, these missing women would still be missing. And like Sunny said, they're not going to start bulldozing these houses, but how many of those 144 women that were missing or murdered from Vancouver um, possibly could never be found because their some of their remains could be you know mixed in with the soil or I don't know what was up with that mound of dirt that big mound of dirt there on the other side of the fence that Sunny was showing was that from the farm could there be something in there I mean We'll never know, and it's it's devastatingly sad to think that these women are just gone. They're just gone. Some of them po did pop up in other communities, and they were found, um, but the majority of them have never been found. And that just, I think that's got a lot to do with how that video hit me, that just the, the kind of urbanization of the area, we, like, it, it just... I don't know, it leaves so many what ifs, like what if there's even one family that could have some peace knowing where their loved one is. Um, but, but what do you do? You can't be bulldozing people's houses or ripping up the Home Depot or, or whatever to, to maybe find something. Like there's, there's no easy answer. This is such a, a tragic case. And so like Sunny said in the video, they found... 30 DNA profiles on, on the farm. He was actually originally charged with 27. Um, one of them 
were dropped because insufficient evidence, so he was charged for 26. He was found guilty of six, and the other 20 were stayed because of the amount of money, which I know Sonny does know the dollar amount that those that trial cost, but they decided not to try for those other 20 um, convictions. Because, yeah, because the jury actually, and they found him not guilty of first-degree murder. Um, they came back with guilty verdict for second-degree murder because they felt that the prosecution didn't prove that Willie had planned these murders. Um, so, and, and I, I mean, I, I don't even know what to say with this. There, were, there was actually a witness, and there's two women that should have been charged with a crime, um, some kind of crime, because the one, her DNA was found all over the farm as well. He had, she had helped him get women back to the farm um, in exchange for drugs or lodging or what have you. But there was one other woman who was staying at the farm with Willie and they were friends. She supported him, um, I guess, emotionally, whatever a, a friend girl would do who doesn't need money. Um, but she went into... I believe it's called the low track area the of the yeah. lower east side of Vancouver yeah. and helped Willie get a lady of the night. Another one. Hey, that's twice. <laughs> um, and brought her back to the farm. Now this woman fell asleep on the couch and when she woke up, all the lights were off in the trailer. She didn't hear anything. So she just assumed that the girl had left whatever uh, but she noticed, the woman noticed there was a light on over in the slaughterhouse, which was weird because it was like two, three in the morning. So she went over there to see what Willie was doing out there. And she walked in and she actually saw a woman hung up on meat hooks. Um, she yeah. remembered her purple toenails dangling. And Willie was in the process of dismembering and skinning this person. And uh, Willie basically grabbed her wrist got blood this woman's blood on her wrist and said she was a pig so i slaughtered her like a pig the woman went back in the house willie drove her to the lower east side and never saw her again but and she had dna from this victim on her wrist and she didn't go to the to the police she was scared that willie would come and get her now yeah. there are also reports saying that she was blackmailing willie which I, I mean, I don't believe because if that was the case, he just would have, he would have just killed her. He would, he would have just killed her, but there's no excuse. I don't care how scared you are. Once you're in Vancouver and you're far away from that farm, you go to the police, you get help, especially you've still got that victim's DNA on your hands. You go and she didn't. And she was never charged with a crime. She was never charged with a crime to this day. And she's been on news programs. She's been on documentaries. She's she's out with her story. Like she literally walked in and caught Willie in the act and never said a word until after the trial, after he was convicted, after he was in jail. And then she started talking. To me, that's fun. Oops. Thank you, Cindy. Uh, I think there was someone named EK too. And uh, Cindy, uh, thank you for subscribing to the channel. Um, absolutely unbelievable that he was found not guilty of first degree murder. He was convicted for second degree murder. 
was sentenced to the maximum Canadian sentence, 25 years, or it's called life, but life in Canada is 25 years before you're eligible for parole. There's no such thing as no parole in Canada. Life is not life in Canada. Yeah. Um, but like I said, now they've got the dangerous offender designation. Um, if you're a special kind of evil, they can tag you with this with this label and it makes it that much harder for you to um, obtain parole. So, but like I said, that, that Willie was never given that dangerous offender designation. So um, next month he comes up for day parole, probably won't get it, but in 2027, he's up for parole. Yeah. Crazy. Um, yeah. It's, um, it's absolutely heartbreaking. Well, I was going to say, and uh, so I'm just kind of like, there was a bunch of pictures, but I know that they're not really big to some people, but uh, you know, like uh, Serena Abbott's way, um, like her asthma container uh, was found um, in horse picked in stuff. And so there's just uh, this site here. Uh, I'll actually that just- horse in that picture. I know. That Goldie. was his favorite horse. And when the horse Goldie. died, he took, he beheaded it himself, took it to a taxidermist and hung yeah. it on his bedroom wall. And it remained there until he was charged. You know, and I, I can't seem to find it, but I remember it was like, so in 1995, he killed, a, it's saying that he killed a person. 1996 was one person. 1997 was one person. 1998, I think think it was like so there was a it's something like four then two then seven and six so in 1997 i can't remember the victim's name and i feel like such an ass for not knowing but the the one woman she actually fought back and she got into a nice fight with willie and um she escaped and she she ended up going to a hospital she still had a handcuff on her um willie took himself to the hospital that same hospital and um, the woman knew who it was, so she told the doctors that, you know, Willie picked and whatever, whatever. So the nurses found the key to her handcuffs in Willie's pocket and was able to take that off. So Willie was charged with that or arrested for that. Mm-hmm. But because of her because lifestyle, lifestyle yeah. her, her story or whatever, addiction. they can't, it's not reliable um, Incredible. witness information. Yeah. Um, so when it come time to go to trial, the, the witness didn't show up or the victim didn't show up. So the charges were dropped. Yeah. And that was 1997. So mm-hmm. you're talking five more years of murders that could have been stopped there. If the police had just done their job, right. Done their job in, in 2016, Charmaine is, uh, what, what was the words that they used in 2016? Uh, to basically say what a shit show that, yeah. like, you know, when something is like beyond epic, propo- I think they, that's what they used, mm-hmm. like basically epic proportions of in like uh, not doing their due diligence mm-hmm. um, in 2016, uh, basically not doing their jobs properly. And, and again, creating all these other deaths. Um, and these, I mean, this case is abhorrent. It is absolutely terrible, but this isn't the only case. Like we talked about Amber Tuckero and how yeah. the RCMP didn't take that serious. Oh, photos. Um, there's other there's other cases. The the Highway of Tears, every one of those victims, they're not taken seriously as victims because of their lifestyle or their heritage, bizarrely enough. 
Um, but this is this is the culture of our RCMP, and I believe that it's starting to shift. It's starting to change. But this happened how many years ago? Like you know, twenty three years ago. Yeah. Amber Tuckerow was you know twelve years ago, thirteen years ago, and now we're starting to see a slight shift that they're starting to take these a little more seriously. But but are they? Because we still don't have charges. We still don't have a public investigation. I mean, things just aren't taken seriously, and it's it's hard to it's hard to fathom that our justice system is failing so many people. Yeah, sorry, this was just the one with the bottle. That one was uh, Nancy Plasman, mm -hmm. uh, a friend of Picton who once lived with him, found the debris. Like that was another victim right there. So, you know, some of the, some of the evidence, um, of these uh, females. Yeah. Just, um, like, uh, and how do you say that he didn't plan the murders when he went? Yeah. he Like did. I was asking you in chat, Sonny, if that was the same highway, the route that you would take to or from the Lower East Side to get into Vancouver. No, no. Well, no. I mean, think about it. The, the drive is not that long, but the, the, to me, they they say that if you stab somebody in self-defense to get them away from you and you lift your arm and do it a second time, that is premeditation. So what part of premeditating with that entire drive there and then the entire drive back, maybe because he didn't kill every single person he brought back to the farm, supposedly, but how do they know that? They know that these women were picked up and brought back. That to me is premeditation. So I just, I just don't get it. I don't get it. How he was, I don't know that it would have made a difference. First degree, second degree, he got the maximum sentence regardless. Life should definitely always be actual life. I'm, I, I'm not saying an eye for an eye, but if you take a life, you forfeit your own. And that's just my my opinion coming from you know relatively close experience i i think that you make these choices and you there has to be consequences for those choices and somebody that's able to murder a minimum of 27 women just because he wasn't convicted of that but up to possibly 49 or more yeah there's no re rehabilitating these serial killers. They're, you can't you can't fix what's wrong with somebody that takes dozens of lives like this. Yeah, no. Um, just on on the screen, Charmaine. Like I don't know why it's coming up. So hold on. Let me. Yeah, like I mean, East Hastings. Uh, first of all, again, that's like ten blocks of wasteland is how it was put in the article um it really is it's just it's homeless needles uh tents everywhere in front of businesses it's really crazy um so nobody ever really wants to go past east hastings you know so what it's kind of interesting that um in our criminal justice um college our diploma course in Western Canada, East Hastings is one of the most dangerous high-risk areas 
in Western Canada. So when I was in college, we actually watched um, police. It wasn't body cam back then. It was actual, like they had a camcorder and they took it around with them for like a complete month, just recording conversations and interactions with some of these women and homeless people, uh, just to show us more about community policing and the challenges that they face as police officers in that kind of environment. But there, I mean, there are so many people out there that are most of them, if not all of them are addicted to drugs. And that yeah. usually, um, I don't want to say forces, but a lot of these women turn to um, sex work to fund that addiction. And what I saw in that documentary was just, I mean, it, it shakes you as somebody that's brought up in the suburbs of a big city and it's not exposed to all that stuff. It just, it shocks you that there are people out there actually living this life and no way out for them. And, it, yeah. and for him to recognize that and Japan, because yeah. he had money and he tipped good, um, he became popular in that area. So people wanted him around. They wanted them to, he wanted, women wanted Willie to pick them, you know, because he, he tipped well and he had, he had drugs and, you know, he was the guy to be with crazy, yeah. but he was the guy to be with. Yeah, I, I agree, Kathy. I, I knew what you meant, and that's kind of what I was saying, too. Um, I, I don't like the saying, an eye for an eye, because if that were the case, we would be doing some pretty terrible things to these people who are convicted. But I do believe when you get sentenced to life, it should be your natural life behind bars. And yeah. I think it should be an automatic sentence if you're convicted of more than one murder. Like, if you're technically by the standard a serial killer and they've got the dna and you've been found guilty in a court of law that to me should be an automatic natural life sentence and i am not against the death penalty i'll just put that out there now it's not even a question in canada i don't think they'll ever bring it back but um yeah i i knew what you meant and i 100 percent agree with you 25 years is not especially um i know Tori, Tori Stafford, she was a little girl who was murdered. And one of the people convicted of her murder was a 19-year-old woman. 25 years for a 19-year-old woman, she'll still be of age to bear children um, when she gets out. I mean, it's not enough. It's not enough for some of these people. Carla Homoka included. Yes, she got a deal and she only served 12 years, but she, she has kids now. It, it there's just something wrong with that. I'd like to know more about that statement, Stevie. Canada's the Wild West for serial killers. The the Highway of Tears, depending. There's Cody Lijbakov, which I don't know if he had more than the three victims. You never, ever know. But people, and then the Calgary serial killer, no matter what anybody says, I know there's one lurking out there. There's one in Edmonton. Absolutely, the police have even admitted that. I'm partial to the possibility that that could be the same person. Um, but yeah, just BC and and Alberta alone, I can count four possible serial killers. Um, Clifford Olson. Clifford Olson. I mean, long uh, since. I'm just I'm trying to think. I think Clifford Olson was when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. That was the one that sticks out in my brain as a child, like when I was six yeah. or seven. 
the Beast of British Columbia. We actually, we did an episode on that one as well. Um, and then there's the Beast of Miramichi. He, he killed women. There, I mean, there are convicted serial killers in Canada, but I'm talking about the still unsolved murder people that seem to have connections. And I think that's what Stevie's referring to as well. It would be, be really interesting to pick your brain, Stevie. Where in Canada are you, actually? I suspect East Coast-ish. If you're in Alberta, I'll just like drop dead. What? The Abbotsford Killer. Oh, okay, because that's like uh, Abbotsford yeah. is like 25. Uh, what was his name? Away. I just, I actually started researching that one because obviously I remember it being in the news, but I started researching as possible episode. I can't remember his name, but he, ooh, he is terrible. He was yeah. a, a not, his crimes were terrible, but it, it was what he did after the crimes to the families and to the community. Terry Driver? Yeah. Yes, Terry Driver. Terry Driver. Yeah. That's and him. he died though in prison of a parent, whatever, in uh, August of 2021. Mm -hmm. Dies yeah. in prison, yeah, survivor of a, he was attacked, yeah. He was mm -hmm. born in 19, January 25th, 1965, mm -hmm. on there. Um, and so, thing is, is that honestly, I don't know much about, uh, I never plan on being in true crime, simple as that. So I wasn't paying attention to true crime because I just, I can't, like I had such, I have such a hard time dealing with it. it it's taken me, it's taking me during this experience being, you know, on the YouTuber to have to deal with how to push this to the side so that you can search these cases because mm -hmm. it's just, it's so heart wrenching. And I, like I said, just wasn't into true crime at all. I don't like, to know that all these people are dying at the hands of others it's sad it's horrific and it's just it's a lot on the heart um so i don't know a ton about canadian true crime cases whatsoever because i didn't plan on being in true crime and it was only because of the delphi case that i happened to click on one day which led me to the suzanne morphew case you know um but it really is the feeling of of bringing awareness to people you know, um, about cases or about missing people and stuff like that. That's the part that makes it worthwhile. And giving them their memory back. You know what I mean? And I mean, I'm terrible for it because these people, they have so many victims and it's easy to remember the perpetrator's name, but to remember every single victim, it's, yeah. it's not meant to sound disrespectful, but it, there's no way that I can remember all of Ted Bundy's victims and Gacy's oh. victims and then the Clifford Olson's victims and Picton's yeah. victims and all these names of these doesn't diminish their importance to their families or if they didn't have a family to their lives. They Every single one of them yeah. mattered. And Stevie Fontario, my God, what did you, like I, like I said, I'd love to pick your brain about like Bruce MacArthur and that was the serial killer most recently. Um, he was, he buried some of his victims' body parts in planters because he was a landscaper um, from the, the gay village because these men were gay and most of them were um, not white, I guess is a good way to put it. The police never looked into it. Just another case of the police not policing. Yeah. Mm. Um, do you know, uh, oh, so anyways, you guys, what's in front of you right now? Uh, this is the low track, basically, that they're talking about. Uh, so Vancouver's straight ahead. 
Um, but this is East Hastings. This is where, and th this is nominal to what it looks like, truly, um, what you're seeing here. You know, like I said, so this is where he would come, Picton, uh, to this area, you know, to uh, pick up the females, um, most of them indigenous. So this is kind of like the area that nobody really likes to go near. It's mm -hmm. like, this is nothing compared to what it truly looks like. Um, yeah, but, and it just goes down. It's like about 10 blocks, you know. Um, and so like you find needles and used condoms and drugs and just, I mean, at every little nook and cranny, there's usually like a homeless person or evidence that a homeless person had spent the night there. It's a very, very sad walk. And like I said, in college, and we watched that. Um, camcorder video back then of police officers going through every back alley talking to every single person that they come across um, for purposes of our community policing course um, it was it was sad and shocking shocking the stuff that they would come across just on a just on a regular beat walk did we mention, I know that we talked about it before we went live, but did we mention how BC Health Services put out an alert back when Picton was um, just in custody, basically saying if you have pork products in your freezer that you got right. from this farm, you yeah. need to bring it in because it could have human remains in it. Um, possibility that if it's consumed, um, people could have been exposed to hepatitis B. They didn't know enough to, but they thought maybe HIV, um, because these women live these high-risk lifestyles, like and they and they went on TV on the news and put this alert out. Now, can you imagine being the family that just had, you know, a dinner, a pork chop dinner or a pork roast dinner from the Picton farm, and then seeing this alert come on? Could you imagine? Um, Could you imagine being the family of a missing woman? And getting that alert, like I just, <sighs> I know, I can't. Uh, I yeah, right. That makes me want to vomit just thinking about it. Just yeah. thinking about and putting yourself in somebody's shoes. And Sunny, you lived close That's enough. Me. It's it's possible that you had pork chops in your freezer at the time. Like, uh, but my well, again, the farm, yeah. Like, you know what I mean, it, like just, honestly, right. And, and to have the government come out on the news and say that is just, mm -hmm. it takes it to a different level of they're for real right now. I know. Like, seriously, like this is just a, I mean, like I said, it's the largest serial uh, right. killer case in Canada. Um, like I said, and you know, he hit the 49 just by what he said to the police officer um, in the jail there just needed one more, one more to get to 50 as if like, you know, like, like you know just come on one more oh once i hit 50 now i just need to get to 100 right. you know and my uh, question is because those charges were stayed yes right i, I, I just i feel like okay so if they were stayed you can still rebring them so maybe maybe it's time to rebring them because he's eligible for day parole next right. month maybe maybe now's a good time maybe it's good that you haven't destroyed the evidence let's let's keep him in prison now that it's yeah. possible to give him consecutive sentences, let's keep him locked up. Absolutely. Like, but yeah, like I don't like I said, I guess well, we just don't know how that works. Travis, Travis, yeah. you seem to know stuff about Canada. 
Um, mm. That's the Texas lawyer that uh, uh, comes on our channel. Um, Travis might know that answer to that. I actually have a couple of friends who they don't do criminal law, but I bet you they could, they could either point me in the direction or find the answer to that. Maybe I'll look into it. Mm -hmm. See what, what staying charges means. Cause I always thought that that means they're just put on, they're basically put on ice. Mm. They're just, they're not mm. dropping charges, but they're not going to proceed with trial. Um, but they could at a later date. But I, th I would think that because we're so close to this day parole eligibility, yeah. that it would have been in the news if they were even. When's that again? 2024 when? Next month, February. Next month. Yeah, month. thank you, February. Like he's, he's literally sitting in his jail cell going, I could be out on day parole. But he's like, not going to. He's he not knows. going to, but you know what I mean? Giving that man even the slightest shred of hope makes me want to vomit. Like he should think that he's going to die in prison. So I thought that would be the best place to stop. Um, we do continue talking about some other cases and, and then just some chit chat about other topics. Um, like I said, you can click on the link in the show notes to go and see that entire live stream and uh, read the chat replay. And make sure you join us next time on True Crime Canada. Um, that's Saturdays. Um, I usually post the time on our Facebook page. But anyways, about uh, Willie Picton. Now, I said in the live stream that he is eligible for day parole come February 2024. So next month. And that is shocking. And 20 of his charges were stayed. But after a little bit of research, I come to find out that charges that are stayed can be rebrought, but they only have a year to rebring re those charges. So as it stands right now, they can't rebring those charges against him to try him for those other 20 murders. So, I mean, technically speaking, he could, he is eligible for day parole next month. And his 25-year sentence runs out in March of 2027. I do believe he still has to qualify for parole. There's no guarantee he's going to get out. If that's the case, chances are he won't get out. But it's still an absolute tragedy. I don't understand our system at all. Um, but thank you so much for listening. And I will talk to you next time on True Crime Story Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends. If you don't mind giving us a five-star rating, it's going to help our show grow. You can reach us at truecrimestorypod at gmail.com or on our Facebook page through Messenger. Thanks again for listening.